First thing we do is we gather. We come together. We come together for encouragement. We come together to keep each other accountable. We come together to help each other. Uh, we come together because it's countercultural to come together. Uh, the world says that we can do this thing on our own, uh, but as Christians, we all believe that we can't. We come together and say that Jesus is Lord because everybody else says he isn't. And so there's this thing that we come together to gather as a family. We're reminded who each other is as a family. The second G that we're going to be with is we come together to grow. We gather, we grow, and next week it'll be we, we go. G's. And then the last one is we give. This money is, this G money, it's the G sermon, it's gangsta, it's everything. So anyways, pray with me and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for uh, calling us together to this place. You have called us, you have gifted us, you have enabled us uh, to be a family, uh, a community uh, that is gathered together to worship your name. Uh, we thank you for for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I had a, uh, growing up in the house, last week we told you about family dinners. Uh, we had a doorpost that was over by the refrigerator, and on the, ref uh, and the, on the doorpost were these little markings on how tall everybody is. Did you guys ever have one of those? A doorpost, something on your wall, and it was awesome because uh, by the time I was like in sixth grade, I was already as tall as my mom. She's a wee little person. She's, if any of you meet her, she, she says she's 5'1". Yeah, maybe. She's like 4'11". Uh, but she, she's, she's, she's little. And so I, by sixth grade, I had beat mom, and I was excited about that. I was taller than mom. Junior high, I got to my sister's height. She's like Russell Wilson's height. <laughs> Never gets old, Rob Ford. Never gets old. Uh, but I, I, I got past my sister. I was happy about that because she's like 11 years older than me. Uh, she, she's, she's 50 or something like that. She's 49. She's almost 50. But so there's my sister. And then I got to my brothers and then my dad. And by the time I was a freshman in high school, I was 5'3". Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm taller than, than my mom and my sister. My sophomore year in high school, I have this thing, a growth spurt. And by my junior year, I am this tall. It drove my parents nuts because they had to buy clothes. But I was growing for, I was growing. I was the biggest one in the family. No one wanted to wrestle me after my junior year. They just left me alone. My brother stopped picking on me. My friends stopped picking on me. It was wonderful. But I grew. Growing like this in your physical aspect is a normal part of life, right? When we plant a seed in these gardens out here, we plant a little bitty, bitty, tiny, bitty seed. And we put it in the ground, and what do we do? We wait for it to grow. We buy puppies, and they're cute, and they're fun, and they're stupid, and they have sharp teeth, and they chew everything. But we buy puppies with the hope that they grow into dogs. Some will remain cute. Some, some dogs get uglier as they get older. Uh, and, and, but then, then, and then they grow into full-fledged dogs. We do things, and there's a natural rhythm to life where we start small, and then we grow. Growth is a normal piece of life. Growth is also a normal piece of your faith. We start small in our faith. We start with just a simple belief, but the belief doesn't just stay there. The belief grows into something, hopefully. And so as disciples of Christ, we grow 
our faith starts small and then it becomes something more. It's not just a one-time decision. When I first came to Jesus, it was I was seven years old. I was playing tackle football in my front yard. We weren't allowed to do it, but mom wasn't watching. We were playing tackle football with my neighbor kids who were all bigger than me at that point. One of them, John, had a shirt with an ACDC Highway to Hell album on it. Are we familiar with the album cover? I am. Uh, and so I looked at it and said, that's scary. I don't want to go to there. So I ran inside, and I told my mom and dad, I don't want to go to where John's shirt is depicting. I, I didn't say the word depicting, but I don't want to go. <laughs> I had a very good vocabulary. I don't want to go where John's shirt is saying we should go, a highway to hell. And so my dad said, well, let's pray. And so then prayed, received Christ at age seven. One-time decision. And at that point, it's all I could do. That decision was it. I didn't realize until my senior year in high school at a camp that there's more than just a one-time decision. It's not just a fire insurance to get your butt out of hell and on the bus to heaven for one day when you die. Instead, it's a point that is the beginning point of it all. And from that place, there is growth. There is new maturity that's found. You become more and more like Jesus. So today, we're going to look at three aspects of, of what it means to grow. If you have your bulletins, you can follow along. The first point is we're going to define what growing is. Then, why does growing matter? And then finally, how do we grow? You ready for it? I'm not sure I am. I've had Judah a lot. So we're going to look at how, what it does it mean to grow. There are many definitions on what it means to grow in Christ, but simply said, to grow in Christ is where Jesus is seen more clearly and more consistently in our lives. Here's how Paul describes it. If we have your Bibles, uh, flip to Philippians chapter 1. Paul describes it this way. In all my prayers, this is in verse 4. It should be on the screen behind us. Perfect. In all my prayers for you, I, I pray with joy because of your partnership with the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began the work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. So there's a beginning, there's a start. Paul is writing to a church in Philippi, in Philippi that's pretty young, and he says, there was a beginning to your faith. It started there. This is where you began your transformation to become more and more like Christ. And there, God began to do something, a work inside of you. He hit start. He hit go. And, but it doesn't end there. There's a start. There's a beginning. Christ is working on us. So look at the person next to you and say, you are a project. You are a project. No one said it to you three there. You're all projects. We are all projects. We are all in progress. Christ has started something in us. He who began that work, Paul says, confidently he who started that work will be faithful to complete it so what's that mean none of us are complete none of us have arrived if you think you've arrived you haven't or you arrived at the wrong station you're not here yet but god knows this and he's continually continuing to do the work towards you so, but then Paul continues. Paul is talking Philippians. This is how you started. And then a longer piece of scripture in the next chapter, chapter 2. Therefore, he starts it with therefore. Therefore is there because of everything he said in chapter 1. Christ has started it with, in, with you. So therefore, if there is any encouragement from being united in Christ, 
if there is any comfort in his love, if there is any common sharing in the Spirit, if there is any tenderness or compassion, then make the joy complete and be in like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, one in mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition, vain conceit, rather humility, value others for yourselves. Do not look at your own interest, but the interest of others in your relationships with ever with one another. Have the same mindset of Jesus Christ. So there's a start. There's a goal. You're supposed to have the same mindset of Jesus Christ. This is what growing is. It's growing to make yourself more and more like Christ. And then he continues, therefore, dear friends, he goes into this long thing of what Christ did. He made himself lower. He, he came to earth. It's the incarnation passage. And then in verse 12, he picks up, because of what Christ did, my dear friends, as you always have obeyed, not only in my presence, but what's more in my absence, continue working on your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you in order to will and to act in order to to fulfill his good purpose. So we see a progression in Philippians, right? We see the beginning. Paul hits the start. Now what is Paul saying in chapter 2? Don't just let the start go to waste. How many of you start projects at home and never finish it? I'm really good at that. I start a bunch of things. I complete very little. Paul knows this about us. So he says, it started. Now keep working on it. Many of us, or many people have looked at this passage and said, oh, we need to work for our salvation. We're not saved. No, these people are completely saved. They're in Christ. Paul says, just like he, God has started something in you, you're saved. Now, live into what God has started inside of you. Don't just let it go stagnant. There's two really big theological words that end in sunge here, okay? The first one, justification. Justification means that you are saved. God sees you, he sees Christ. In Colossians, Paul goes into what this actually means, where your life, your being, is hidden with Christ in God. A bunch of prepositional phrases to mean that when God looks at you, he sees Christ. This is you justified. You are saved. There's nothing. You are in Christ. He sees Christ. Now, that's that first part. He, he's began something in you. Justification. Sanctification is the other nice $2 word that if you're playing Scrabble might get you something. Sanctification is the concept that we live in to our justified states. Making sense? So you are justified. You are completely here. Now you live like you've been justified. Sanctification is the hard part. Sanctification is the growth. Sanctification is the growing pain. Sanctification is realizing that you'll never really arrive, but you keep trying. Justification is like my son who has feet, okay? We all, he has feet. I, I put shoes on him this morning. He has a specific size shoe. Those shoes belong to him. Justification is that there will always be feet. Sanctification means that one day he'll fit into these. These are pretty cool looking ones, right? One day, not yet, but he's going to continue to grow. He'll fit into these ones. I think these were hand-me-downs from one of somebody in the congregation. Thank you. Uh, one day he'll fit into these shoes. He's going to grow. He's going to get foot cramps. There's going to be growing pains. He's going to trip and fall. But one day he'll land himself in these. He's justified. He's Judah. These belong to him. They're not mine. 
They belong to him. Then, after he grows into these, he's going to grow into these. There's always room for growth in sanctification. That's what Paul's getting at. You've started. You fit into your shoes now. Your shoes are going to wear out. You're going to need to get more shoes. You're going to need to get shoes that don't wear out so fast. Maybe some rainbow sandals. They last for like nine years. But there's always going to be growth. Are we following? Paul says, God started something in you. He started growing you. You're growing. Don't let the growing stop. What happens if you're growing on your, door, on your doorpost and all of a sudden you go from being six foot two to five foot eleven? then down to 5'7". Unless you're the curious case of Benjamin Button, it is not good. Instantly, there's red flags going off. You're not, there's bone density problems. There's an issue there. When we grow, it is good. Not growing is a problem. So Paul says there's growth, there's sanctification. And Paul says, don't just sit back and enjoy it. Work it out. Work out what is already true of you. You are in Christ. You are justified. Now, sanctification kicks in and you start becoming more like someone you already are. It's living into the future you. It's living into how Christ sees you. You're justified. Now grow. For, uh, 2 Corinthians says it this way. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Physically, if you use the physical illustration like that, every illustration breaks down over time. But even when your bodies cap out with growth, even when you don't think you can grow anymore, you are still being transformed. You are being renewed every day. But what does it look like to grow? In other words, how can you tell if you're already growing Many of us will say, or many people will say, well, it just means that you know more Bible answers. You're quick with the sword drill. You can find Zephaniah real fast. That's not growth. Growth isn't knowing the answers. Jesus says to the Pharisees in John 5, 39, you can study the scriptures diligently. You can learn them, but you, and, and, and you think that in them you have life. The very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Growing does not mean that you can constantly busy yourself with religious activity. Growing isn't knowing the answers. You can know all the answers in the world and still be very, very shallow. Growing means that you start looking more and more like Christ. In John 15, he calls it fruit. What does fruit look like? Fruit looks like you're loving your enemies. Fruit looks like that you have compassion for the weak, compassion for the sick, the marginalized. Growing means that you're taking uh, your marriage seriously. Growing means that you're being f freed from your addictions. You're living with your body and your sexuality in ways that are life-giving rather than destructive. Growing means that to the extent that you have it, you're generous with your money. Growing means that you are gathering with other people to worship and be encouraged. One theologian said it this way, it's not believing in Christ which ultimately matters. Rather, it's are you becoming more like Christ that matters most. Growing isn't just knowing answers. Growing is actually becoming something. Growing means that you're pursuing unity rather than division. We're pursuing a likeness. We're pursuing what it means to live together. A community of growing disciples will, will display something that's very rare in our age. 
They'll display unity of purpose, mutual commitment to our individual and collective transformation in the midst of diversity of views. It's possible to grow in unhealthy ways. It's possible to have a growth that's not good for you. You can find diversity of views and say that we have diversity, therefore we are mature because we can listen to other ideas. That's not necessarily growth. Growth, that, that, the, the truth is that nobody actually believes that. You, can have, you, you don't have the ethical standards, thus you, don't, you can't call people to higher grounds. But the main point that we're getting at with growth is to say that your, your growth, just because you're, you're growing, just because you have more tolerance, and just because that you can dance with big ideas, doesn't mean that you're having maturity. Maturity is a unity of purpose in the midst of diversity that inevitably comes because none of us, not a single one of us, have yet, are yet perfectly mature. We'll never agree on the same issue. We'll never agree politically. We'll never agree whether we should have firearms or not. We'll never agree that the 49ers are the best sign of Jesus' discipleship in your life. See, we won't agree on this. We're never going to agree on this. But under the umbrella of people who love Jesus, there is a unity in that thought. And it's not just I'm going to put up with you and be tolerant. When we're growing and there's diversity, it means that we can disagree. But I want you to grow more and more in Christ. I don't want you to stay in that place. Having unity and diversity means that all of us are committed to growing and all of us are committed to the ongoing journey of looking more and more like Jesus. It means that your unity and your diversity is Christ-centered instead of issue-centered. It looks like Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Read it with me. It's going to be on the screens. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works and service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we have reached unity of faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God have become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants who are tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and the craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, we speak the truth in love. We grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up as each part does its work. Growing means that we have discernment. This is that idea that Paul is getting at of no longer being tossed around by every idea. A mature community doesn't jump on every bandwagon or every hot issue that's carried by the winds of our culture, but it also isn't blind to them. It means that we look at the gospel for a particular time and place. We look at the gospel and its effect on the place of racism in our, in our country, in our cities, at economic equality, at the xenophobia that we see all around us, the chaos that our world is seeing. And we look at it, and we're, because we're mature, we try to find the gospel in the middle of it and say, how does the gospel fit into this? Maturing people aren't, we don't become one-issue people. But in the midst of them, we're not afraid of them, and rather we're seeking to find Christ's love in the midst of them. Growing 
and maturing means that we move from the individualism of infancy to this community where we're interconnected with one another. I see this in Judah's growing patterns. Right now, he's at, he's at a different phase. Three months ago, when he played, he was perfectly fine all by himself. I can leave him over in the corner with his cars and his garages, and he would be just happy to play with them. Now, he's growing, and he wants people to play with him. And so I'll be sitting, reading, watching the football game or whatever, and now he comes up and he pulls on me and says in, in his way, come on, I want you to join me. He's growing up. He pulls hard enough sometimes and my shorts fall off. <laughs> but he's gone from solo play or whatever the developmental term for it, playing by himself. Now he's into the part where he wants to play with other people. He wants to join he wants to be in relationship. It's a growth pattern that we see. And what Paul is getting at here in Ephesians, especially verse 16, is that we no longer are content with just ourselves and our own me and Jesus and nobody else. That in order to grow, there has to be moving from individualism to community. That's growth. And you're not always going to agree on the issues that you're in community with. That's okay. Are you both seeking Jesus in the midst of it? That's maturity. And you're committed to one another's transformation. You're committed to one another's uh, growth in Christ. You're committed to one another's faith. That's maturity. That's what Paul is getting at. Now, why does growing matter? Sure, so growing is this. Growing is maturity. Growing is being more and more like Christ. It's displaying him in your life. It's putting him on display wherever you live. But there's, there's the other question. Why does it matter? There's a constant narrative in Scripture of people who start things and never complete them, a lot like me in my home projects. There's a lot of that in Scripture. So Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians. He talks about this group of people in, the, uh, in Numbers and Exodus who got all the way to the edge of the promised land. On the other side of the Jordan, they're looking into it. And these two tribes said, Moses, don't really want to go in. In fact, we're content being close to it but we don't want to go fully in. So Paul in Corinthians brings this up. He tells these, the story of these two tribes and he tells it as a warning. He says, don't be like those people who got so close to Jesus, they started it and then they stopped it right there and maybe every once in a while they dabbled and they went in a little bit and out a little bit. He says, don't do that. Continue this transformation. Go fully into what God has for you. The temptation that we have is that we see people in their faith, maybe we see ourselves in our faith, and we say, oh, I'm good enough. I'm good enough here. I've read my Bible three of the days. I've been in community twice this quarter. Uh, I, I've, I've, gone, I've gathered with people my 1.6 times a month. I've done this. I've gotten into this. I'm, I'm good enough. This is fine. And with Christ and with pursuing him and with growing, there's no good enough. There's always more. It's like we think that we've gotten, when you're jumping into a swimming pool, and you think you've gotten all the way to the bottom where the drain is, and maybe you're after one of those rings, and you think you've gotten there, you're like, oh, that's good enough, and you swim back to the top, but you don't realize that the pool is about another eight feet deeper. And then you dive again, and you go deeper, and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm good enough. No, it's still deeper. 
There's always more, and our problem is we don't think we can get there. We don't think that we can ever actually live into what God has called us to do. And so we stop. We stop growing. We stop maturing. We've started something, but we never really see it to completion. God's goal for all of us is that we display the character of God. And if, it's goal, if, if that's his goal for us, then it's not far-fetched that we're able to actually live in to his goal. Colossians says this in uh, chapter 1, verse 26. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. When Christ is in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may, be, may present everyone fully mature in Christ. In other words, the beauty of the Christian life isn't that you're called to good enough. The beauty of Christian life is that you're enabled to live more than good enough. Christ is in you. You are empowered with the very life of Christ to live the life that he had so that you can show him to other people. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. It's Richard's mantra. We hear it probably every other day around the offices. This is what he teaches, but it's what Paul teaches, and it's true. Good enough isn't good enough. There's always more of Christ to have. There's always more of the Spirit to experience. There's always more growth. The key here is that we never stop growing. When you stop growing, when you stop going deeper, you fail. My dad was a military person. He's in the Army for a couple years. And he always said that the most dangerous place to be when he was doing convoys is stopped on the side of the road. Always had to keep moving because when you stop, you instantly become a target. You are stationary. How many of you seen Band of Brothers or read the books Band of Brothers? Incredibly violent movies, but very, very good. It's World War II, and it's the story of uh, the Airborne Infantry Easy Company, and you pick up the story right before D-Day, and then you follow this company all the way through the war in Europe till VE Day uh, when the war was complete, and it's a guy named uh, Richard Winters was the colonel, and he wrote his memoirs. There was one battle, and you see this uh, 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 colonel come in, this captain come in, and, and those of you who've seen it, you remember this. He's very unsure. He's not really a great leader, but he takes his company, and they're going to take this town, and this town is very important. What happens is he starts running after him, and then he gets scared, and he stops everybody behind this big stack of hay. And the whole time, the colonels and everybody out, the captains, the battalion chiefs, are standing in the trees yelling, keep moving, keep moving, because what they're doing now is they are a target. And all those men are behind that stack of hay because he can't move anymore. This is good enough. Meanwhile, the German armies, and you see them adjusting their mortars, fixing all their fire on one point. He stopped moving. He stopped growing. In Christian life, there's always the temptation that this is good enough. I've accepted Jesus, that seven-year-old me in my living room on the brown carpet and the ugly coffee table. I accepted Jesus. That's good enough. No. Yes, 
Christ began something there in me. He started something in me. But his purposes for me were much more than seven-year-old Brad, a scared of an ACDC t-shirt. God has started something in you. He's put something in you. He's put his life into you. He's put his spirit in you. You've said yes to him to whatever extent that yes means right now. The goal of that is not for you to say, cool, I'm out. I'm just going to sit here and wait for, uh, wait for myself to die. That's not the point of it. There's always another step. There's always something more. There's always more to be learned. There's always more to develop. There's always more to experience. Don't stop moving. Paul's goal for all of his uh, all of his churches was to make his joy complete and pursue Christ. Paul, the biggest, the guy who's wrote most of the Bible, says it later in Philippians, I'm not done yet. I'm still pursuing this. I'm still chasing this. So are we. Some of us have put ourselves on the bench and we've stopped growing. Don't stop. Keep moving. Keep chasing it. God's vision for us is ongoing growth. If you're like me, here's what stops me. Uh, it's when I fail. I've been justified. My life is hidden with Christ in God. That's who I am. And then all of a sudden, something happens. I fail. Whether it's cursing at the TV because USC gave up a touchdown or the Niners did something stupid. It's going to happen today. There, it's me failing in some way, and then I go, I'll never be there. I'll never arrive. I'll never be good enough. Why even try? And so I fail. There's a model in Scripture of this as well. There's people all through Scripture who have tried and failed, yet what happens? David is one of them. He tries and he fails. He's called a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he got back up and he repented, and he continued trying. Fail it. Failure doesn't mean that we stop. When you fail, we have a God who is faithful and just and will forgive us and get us back on the road. Failure doesn't mean that you quit. Failure means that you get to try again. And we keep trying we keep trying because it's our duty to keep trying. It's our duty to keep growing. At my gym, we lift a lot of weights. And there's this, every time we learn a new lift, the first thing they teach us is how to fail at that lift. Make sense? So if, you have, if you're squatting and you have a big bar, the first thing they teach people when they're learning how to squat with bars on their backs is how to drop the weight when it's too heavy. How to bail out. And it's a good thing to bail out sometimes. So they go through about, an, about a half hour of how to drop the weight and walk out of it instead of letting the weight crush you like a bug. And when we fail, I failed on Tuesday with the weight. When we fail, it's not a bad thing. So your friends come around you, they help you pick the bar back up, they put it back on the rack, and sometimes they give you a good game, and they say, try it again. Failure doesn't mean that we stop lifting weights. Failure means that we try again. We rally. We pick ourselves up. We dust ourselves off. God is faithful and just to forgive you from everything that you've done so that you can try again. This is how we grow. We grow because we live in the soil of grace. 
you mess up, doesn't mean you're out of it. We have a God of grace. You're not defined by your sin. You have a God of grace. For many of us, this, uh, this is the first thing that needs to change in order for us to grow, is to see the God that you're growing into as a gracious God who's not mad at you or ticked off or kicking the dog when you screw up. That's not our, that's not our God. We serve a loving and gracious God who is not angry. When you mess up, he's the one that stacks the weights back on and says, try it again. Lift it again. We misunderstand grace and think that it's just for forgiveness of sins, but grace is also needed in order for us to grow, and in order for us to fall down and learn to walk again. There is grace. The other way that we grow is that we need to, be, need to realize that if we grow in a community that's full of grace. We need, a, we need each other to grow. There's something strange that happens in the forest. I went on a, a, a forest walk with Donna Dahlstrom last winter, and she started telling me about all these trees, and I had no idea there was everything to know about trees. But she started telling me about these trees in a forest, and she fooled me. She had me stand in front of one of them and ask me what it looked like underneath it. And I said, oh, it's just a couple of roots going into the ground. It's no big deal. But there's these things with trees that when they're growing, they don't just grow there and stand there all by themselves. When you dig into them, you realize that this one tree, this fir tree, is connected to this other fir tree, which is connected to this other fir tree, which is connected to that one. And it goes all around through the forest. And they call these forest groupings of trees neighborhoods. And they're connected through their roots. So their roots will go and they'll seek out the other trees and they'll mingle their roots together like this and they become stronger. Their soil is rich for them. They're in the soil of grace, so to speak. They're in a place where they can grow, where they can fail, but their roots are intertied together in this neighborhood. And so I'm curious and go online and learn more about this. It turns out that not only are they connected in a mingling of roots underneath the surface, when one tree is needing a resource, uh, say it needs more sugar, the other tree that has too much sugar will, will let go of some of its sugar to be absorbed by the other tree that needs sugar. It's like borrowing something. And then when the other tree needs something, they kind of have this neighborhood of groupings and they come together and they're stronger when they're grouped and intermingled with each other. Then when the windstorm happens, they're strong because they're tied together in the soil. Their roots are intermingled. You've seen where we're going with this. You can plant a fir tree in your yard all by itself. It'll grow for a few years. It might look cool. It'll die eventually. Why? It has no other tree to grab onto. It has no other roots to grab onto. We grow best when we have grace when we have grace for each other, when you realize God's grace for you, we grow best when we grow with other people. You can't grow on your own. You might look like you are. You might feel like you are. You might have some kind of development. You might look alive, but you're actually not very strong. You can be tipped over very easily. You can get sick 
very easily. You will need something and you won't have anything to borrow it for. The only way that we can grow is by growing together. This is why we stress things here at Ballard of Gatherings. They're places where we can come together and grow. Places of grace. Places where we have diversity of thought, diversity of belief, but all gather around Christ. And they're places where we can encourage one another to keep pursuing Christ. When you see someone that is stopping in their belief, you kick them in the pants and say, come on, let's go, we can do this. Your growth doesn't stop. When you're by yourself, you fall in a ditch and you'll never get out again. But when you're in a group of people, you fall in a ditch, someone jumps in there with you and says, come on, I know the way out. We grow together. And as we grow together, we start seeing these landmarks of our growth, like the post in the kitchen. And so today I have a question for you. Where is your mark of growth in your life? When you look at the kitchen doorpost in your heart, have you capped out right about here? Or are you still growing? Where have you stopped growing? Are you trying to do this all by yourself? Have you said, well, I'm justified. Now I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to wait. The encouragement, disciples grow. Disciples grow together. Maybe you're trying to figure out a way to get involved. Maybe you're trying to find a group. Great. This thing wasn't meant to be pushing gatherings, but we're looking to launch more. So we can launch a gathering. We can find a place for you. Maybe today your next step is to say, I've been trying to do this on my own, and I need a group of people that I can intermingle my roots together with them, and I can finally start growing again. May we be a community that gathers together, but may we also be a community that grows together. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you're just not a one-and-done God with us, that you encourage growth, you push us towards each other, and you push us to more. Lord, we thank you for this. Lord, we thank you that you call all of us out, and, and like Lazarus, you called Lazarus out of the grave, but it was his friends that came up to him and started pulling the grave clothes off. Lord, we thank you that you've called us out of our graves, and we thank you that we have the ability to have a community around us that can pull those grave clothes off of us. And Lord, may you identify these places where we're not growing, so that, may we grow, so that we may grow to be more and more like you. In Jesus' name we pray.